It's really great to see everyone here today and to continue on our, our study of John. It's just been so wonderful to experience this all together. And uh, I want to start by telling you that just a, a couple weeks ago, Paul and I completed our will. We, we had done a will already, but we updated our will since our kids are getting older. And so we started taking care of our will and testament. And as you know, that's you know what's where we tell somebody what to do when we die, okay, to make sure our kids handle it right, um, to do all the things. And if you've ever done a will before, you know that the lawyers are really good at covering every kind of circumstance, right, every special circumstance. If one of us dies, if we both die, if one of the kids is alive, is not alive, whatever, like you cover all the circumstances because you want to make sure it's handled right after you're gone. You don't want them to fight. <laughs> you don't want there to be any confusion. We want it all to be clear. This is what you're meant to do when we're gone. And in many ways, this next few chapters of John, John 14 to 17, are like Jesus' final will and testament. Because he is telling us and telling the disciples as a church what he wants them to do. That we call this section of scripture the farewell discourse. It is a long set of teachings and information that Jesus is imparting to his disciples and by extension to us about how he wants us to behave after he's gone. He doesn't want us to fight. <laughs> he wants us to know, to be very clear about what to do after he's gone. And, you know, if you think about it, if you didn't, had never read it before, what would you imagine that Jesus might have put in this final discourse? What would be the things you'd think that he would want people to know? Um, you know, you might think if you're an evangelical and you've been at church, maybe he's going to say things like, well, make sure you know your Bible and make sure you get to church. Maybe he'd say things like you should feed the poor and make sure, you know, you do this or that. Those are the things we might have thought of, and those are all good things. Certainly he teaches of those things in other places. But interestingly, in this final discourse, he doesn't talk about any of that. He has three major themes in this final discourse. The first thing he says to them is that I'm leaving, but I'm never leaving you. I'm going to be present to you. I'm, I'm going to be present with you. I'm going to make my home with you. We're going to abide together through, your, through the Spirit. It's all about being with him. It's all about his presence. I love this morning we were so focused on his presence. But this was what Jesus cared about. He wanted us to know, my presence is here. I'm not leaving you. But he also focuses on the Holy Spirit. There's an awful lot about the Holy Spirit in these few chapters. One, some of the biggest teaching, really, we have from Jesus about the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting that it's kind of the mechanism by which the first thing is being done, right? It's the way we're going to have the presence of God is going to be the Holy Spirit filling us and working through us and speaking to us. And so, you know, it's funny to me that some church traditions don't talk about the Holy Spirit at all. They're a little afraid of it, maybe. I don't know. Maybe some weird things that happen in the name of the Holy Spirit. I don't know. But the point is, Jesus is really focused on the Holy spirit so we need the holy spirit we got to be focused on the holy spirit and then finally jesus reminds them over and over again um love each other love each other be in unity be one over and over again this is so simple right be with jesus receive the holy spirit and love each other it should be on a t-shirt be 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 with jesus receive the holy spirit and love each other that's that's the simple, straightforward message that Jesus is putting in his last will and testament. This is how he wants us to live now that he is in heaven. And these three themes are scattered throughout John 14 to 17. And so he kind of keeps coming back. Kind of like when you want your kids to hear something you say, you keep saying it over and over again with different words, hoping they'll get it. That's what he's doing in these last three, four chapters, really. And so actually over the next three weeks, I'm going to be talking about those three themes, but we're going to be pulling verses from all four chapters because he just keeps coming back to these themes over and over again. So 
today we get to talk about being with Jesus, which I, I love. That's one of my favorite ones. Um, we're going to talk about how he wants to abide with us and how um, he wants to, to be resonant with us. And it's very interesting in this farewell discourse, there is so much in there, so much imagery about the idea of home being home with Jesus, him making a home, there's dwelling and abiding, and there's, it's all about the, him being at home with us and us being at home with Jesus, making a home of, of his making. It's like Jesus wants to live with you. He wants to be with you, like in a house. You're like all boxed in in a house, right? You, you, you can't get to one another. You know, you always can see or hear the other person if you're in a house together, right? You're never that far away, unless you've got a really big house. But, you know, most of us, we've got a little house, right? And so we can just, the presence is very real. Jesus wants to make a home with you. What does that look like? What is this home he wants to make in our house, in our hearts? And the first thing about this home is that it's a place of trust. When you're at home, truly at home, you're in a place where you can trust others and they can trust you. There's a place of trust here. And, and this is very interesting. As we start this farewell discourse, what we have to recognize is the disciples are in a quite, quite a state at this point. Or if you'll remember, last week we were in John 13, and I'm going to have to back up just a teeny bit to get us into John 14, okay? Um, that in John 13, if you remember, Jesus did this extraordinary thing, right? He got down on his knees and he washed all the disciples' feet. And he had a very nice teaching after that where he said, you know, what I've done you need to do for one another. You need to love one another. You know, example of service and of love toward one another. It was a very beautiful moment. And then suddenly the mood changed. Very interesting. Jesus changed the mood. And it says in the scripture that he um, was suddenly troubled. It says this in John 13, 21 to 24. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Kind of a downer for the dinner party, right? I mean, here we are eating, and we had this nice moment, and now you're telling us one of us is going to betray you. I mean, it's like, it's like when the host says something kind of uncomfortable, and everyone starts shifting around in their seats and staring at each other. That's exactly what happened. It's a very awkward moment. It says in John 13, his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciples whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him, and so Simon Peter, always Simon stirring stuff up, motioned to his disciples and said, Ask him which one he means. <laughs> like, what's he talking about? Someone's going to betray him? And um, I have a, a pastor who I love listening to. His name is Colin Smith. He's a Scottish preacher. He has a church out in Illinois. And he made an interesting point about this passage and this story. Actually, two points. The first point, he said, is that in the other Gospels, Matthew and Mark, um, they record at this moment that the disciples start asking Jesus, is it I? Is it I? Surely you don't mean me. So they start wondering if it's them that's going to do it, which is sort of interesting. And he said, you know, Reverend Smith put it this way. He said, they all felt like they had it in them to let the Lord down. They didn't even trust themselves. They weren't sure that it wasn't going to be them that did it, which is very interesting. But then secondly, he said, significantly, no one there said, oh, it must be Judas. Interesting, right? Nobody thought off the top of their head it was going to be Judas. Judas was one of them. He was a trusted leader. He was a trusted friend. He'd been through all the same things that they'd been through together. No one evidently knew the internal struggle and torment he was going through. And they just, they had no idea. It just took, it just blindsided them. They had no idea. And, you know, unfortunately, this is not that unfamiliar a scenario to us, is it, right? We've all had experiences where people that we trusted 
leaders, we think of this as a contemporary phenomenon, right? Christian leaders all over the country, you know, are, you know we, we trust them, we listen to them, and then it turns out they're having an affair or they're having some other problem, they're, you know, doing something else which dishonors the name of their, their calling. And we think that's a current phenomenon, but guess what? It happened right at the beginning, right here. One of those strong leaders that was there with Jesus from the very beginning, Judas, fell away. And I once heard it said that maybe God allowed one of Jesus' disciples to fall away to show us all that it even happened to Jesus. <laughs> that there will always be people that maybe you invest in that end up falling away from the Lord. There will always be leaders who you will look up to and follow and that may disappoint you in the end. This is not unusual. And so this is, this is where the disciples sit in this uncomfortable place of They've been betrayed. There's a broken trust here. And they don't even know if the broken trust is going to be themselves doing it or who, who among them it is. They can't trust one another, and they can't even trust themselves. And so the answer to broken trust is here in this passage as Jesus begins to talk about home. The first thing is that the answer to broken trust is not to stop trusting anybody. And that maybe some of you have done that in your life. You've, you've had a life in which many people have betrayed your trust and you've decided, I'm not trusting anybody. I don't trust people. Or you say, I'm just going to trust myself. I, I don't trust anybody, but I'm going to trust myself. But I will tell you that both will fall through on you, <laughs> um, even trusting yourself. I want to know how many of you have already broken your New Year's resolution that you made three weeks ago. <laughs> Definitely among them. Most of you didn't raise your hand, but I think you're just lying, or maybe you, <laughs> maybe, maybe you didn't make a New Year's resolution because you know you've broken so many in the past. That could be it as well. And so it's right here that Jesus starts talking about what we can do with broken trust. He says, I'm making a home for you because Jesus we can trust. See, the home that he makes for us is a place where trust reigns, where we can be trusted and where we can trust him. See, you can be who you are, and Jesus will receive you. This is the trust that he gives you. And here's what Jesus says about it. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. So they're troubled, right? He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. The only answer to broken trust is to trust Jesus he says, believe in God, believe also in me. Many, many translations call that, say that, uh, translate it as trust God, trust in God, and trust also in me. It's a, it's a Greek word that both means to trust and believe, to, to entrust oneself fully to. He's saying, trust me. I know people aren't trustworthy. I know you're not even trustworthy, but trust me, and I'm going to make a home for you in a place where my presence is there, and you will be in a place where you can trust, where you can be at home. So coming home to Jesus means that. And maybe for some of us, the word home is not really a trustworthy type of word. For us, maybe home has not been a safe place, but I want to tell you today that Jesus' home that he's making is a safe place for you. It's a safe place for me. It's a, it's a place of trust. We can let our hair down. We can always trust in Jesus. Even when we're not sure what he's doing. Even when it looks like things are topsy-turvy. And why is this happening, God? And why is this not getting solved? We can trust Jesus. Let's get used to trusting him. Let's make it a habit of when things are going wrong, we immediately say, but God, I trust you. 
that we don't automatically say, well, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? You don't love me, do you? Which is what we tend to do, right? How about instead we start to make it a habit to trust Jesus? Because he says, trust in God and trust also in me. I am here. My presence is not leaving you. I maybe have gone away up to heaven, but I'm right here with you. In your trouble, in your trauma, in your, your, your discouragement, I'm right here. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. He's holding out his hand. Trust me. I feel like that's a word for somebody today. Trust me. Trust God. And here's the amazing thing. When you finally put your trust in Jesus, when you begin to walk that way, to lean into him in every circumstance, the good and the bad, and you start to see that he comes through for you, maybe in ways you didn't expect, not exactly the thing you asked for, but yet he's always there and he's always trustworthy. When you start to do that, what starts to happen is a little change happens inside of us. And we suddenly begin to be healed of all the other broken trust we've had. God starts to heal us of the broken trust that we've experienced and a kind of strength and confidence builds within us that we're able to handle even the untrustworthy. Do you understand what I'm saying? That there's always going to be untrustworthy people in our lives and even good people who sometimes break our trust. But we can handle that. Not that we trust the untrustworthy. We trust the trustworthy. But we can handle it because we know we have a God in whom we can trust. No matter what's happening around us. So you and I can weather the storms of people disappointing us because we have a God who never disappoints us. Amen. Amen. You can even weather the storms, hear this, of disappointing yourself. We can stop beating ourselves up about how we didn't do that and we didn't follow through on that and we're never like that and we always do this. You know, we can stop beating ourselves about that because we don't have to trust in ourselves. We have someone who doesn't ever disappoint us, who loves you and believes in you and walks with you even when we, when we mess up. See, here's, it's interesting. Jesus didn't fall apart because Judas betrayed him. He didn't like it. He was troubled in his spirit. It bothered him. But he didn't fall apart. He kept on with what God had him to do. Even the rest of the disciples didn't pack it in when they watched Judas fall away. They watched Peter deny Jesus. They wobbled a bit, kind of scattered. They came back. Even Peter, who did the worst, right? He denied Jesus after Jesus, to, or Jesus told him he was going to do it, and he did it. Yet he came back. See, we can weather the storms of betrayal and broken trust because we have a God in whom we can trust. Somebody say trust. trust. Say trust. Yeah. Amen. We trust Jesus. Amen. I feel like that's a word for someone today. Trust him wherever you are. Now, the second thing I wanted to show us about this idea of Jesus making a home for us is that it's, and it's really what we are, we're, the whole thing is about, is that it's a place of presence. It's a place of the presence of Jesus that he's preparing for us, that we're meant to be with him. And there's a couple things. Let's, let's read that bit again. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And the first thing I notice about this house that I love is it's big. It's big. My father's house has, is wide and expansive and welcoming. You're not going to have to fight anyone else for space. We all get plenty of access to Jesus. All of us. 
And it's funny that um, Paul and I were just having this conversation with our son Nate when he was home over Christmas about people who live badly or did evil things in this world and then at their deathbed or at the very end they, they finally, you know, they repent, come to Jesus. And he's like, do they really get there? Like, is, are they really forgiven? Like, how is that right? And he said, our generation, my generation, he said, has a hard time with somebody not having to pay. Like, there's just, there needs to be justice, right? So if you've done evil your whole life, how can you just, you know, at the last minute say a prayer and then suddenly that's all washed away? So that's really hard for our generation to accept that there wasn't justice, that there wasn't payback. And, you know, it's a great question. I'm not sure I fully understand what would happen if Hitler, before he died, had made a set of prayer or Stalin or some of these evil. We don't know what the Lord did with all of that. Um, but here's something I do know, that God's grace is full and complete and free. <laughs> it's kind of astonishing, but it's full and complete and free. Listen to Romans 10. It's not up there, but Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Period. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Only God, of course, knows our hearts and knows the hearts of those who pray in those last moments. But, but um I have to think that we're going to be surprised when we see who's in heaven. I just believe we will be. I think we're going to see people we never expected because God can speak in those last moments. He can speak at any time, and his grace is full and complete, and it's free. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So there's many rooms. There's more than enough room for anyone who comes to Jesus to be have a room in his house. Amen. But second of all, this idea in this passage of my father's house rooms, I'm preparing a place for you, is not only, I don't think, just some beautiful condo that he's got waiting for you in heaven, okay? I'm saying it's a condo because you won't have to do any yard work, right? It's going to be easy up there, right? Unless you like yard work and then he'll give you the big yard, okay? But, uh, but you know, it's not just about that. I mean, it is about that, right? We read this at funerals. It's very comforting, right, to know that our loved one, has a, there's a place for that person, that we're going to be there with them someday, and God is preparing a place for us. Yes, of course, it's about us eventually when we die being in this place. But I also see another very clear meaning here, especially in the context of the farewell discourse that we're studying. And it, maybe it's even a double meaning, because the Father's house is a phrase that the Old Testament uses to talk about the temple, it's where God resides. If you remember when Jesus was a young lad and he was kind of left behind and his family left Jerusalem, where did he say he was? He said he was found in the temple and he said, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? So the father's house is the temple. It's where God's presence is. And guess what? What's the temple now? It's not that building in Jerusalem. You and I are the temple God's Spirit came and is dwelling in you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Listen to 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? So you individually are a temple of the Lord and us together we're a temple where God's presence dwells. That's where he is. And so now suddenly all these verses that we're going to see in 14 through 17 about abiding and dwelling start to make some sense in a different way. John 14, 18 to 21. I will not leave you as orphans. There is, I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. 
He's not talking about the end of time here. He's talking about right now. He is in you and you are in him if you are in Christ. He is within you. You are his temple. And so he's here right now. John 15, 4 to 5, one of my absolute favorite passages. I read it almost every time I get up here to speak. It says, remain in me as I also remain in me. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, this is for now. This is for today. God can abide in you and you in him. He's making his home in you now. He's going to prepare a place for you in, in your heart. He's coming. He's there. John 14, 23. Love this one. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. So not only can we look ahead to enjoying the room, the the wonderful condo or farm or house or whatever it is God's got ready for us in heaven, yet right now he's making a home in your heart where he will dwell and you can be in him and he can be in you. And what's interesting um, is that the whole Trinity is involved here because that verse I just read you, John 14, 23, is actually the only place in the New Testament where both the Father and the Son, it talks about the Father and the Son coming to live with you, right? So it says, my Father will love them and we will come to them and we will make our home with them. And in other scriptures, we see sometimes it's the Spirit or sometimes it's Jesus. So I'll just pull a few. Galatians 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Ephesians 3.17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There's his dwelling again. Romans 8.11, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So you catching this? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all having a party in your heart. Okay, they're making a home there. They got the appetizers laid out. They got the punch, you know, with the nice fizzy, fuzzy stuff on it and the, and the ice cream floating around on the top. Like, they've got, they've got a party going on in your heart. Hallelujah. What a place where Jesus dwells. He wants to be in you and with you. He never leaves you. There's never a moment when he's not there. You're in a house together. And you don't, you're just, you're just, it's like COVID, right? You never leave the house, right? You are in the house. You're in the house with Jesus, and he's having a party. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they are loving it in your heart. They're loving it in your heart. Can we just take a moment to just appreciate that? Appreciate that Jesus right now is in your heart. If you are in Christ, if you have trusted Christ, he's in your heart right now. And, you know, I speak to anybody here who Dave, maybe, maybe you've never asked Jesus into your heart. Maybe you're not quite sure what I'm talking about. But this is, a, this is a moment. You can at any time ask Jesus to come into your heart, and he'll come. He doesn't, like, put up a lot of barriers, right? I mean, it's just, just open up your heart to me and let me come in and, 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 and acknowledge me that I'm, that I'm Lord and that I want to be in your life. And you'll, you'll begin to sense the Holy Spirit within you, and you will start to move and walk with him. That's available to you right at this moment. You never have to wait. He's always present. I really, I had to remember that this week. I was feeling a little like I was doing it at all. I was getting it all done. It was all me. And then I just had to be reminded that Jesus is right here. He's right here. He's walking with me through everything. I think all of us need to be reminded of that. 
The last thing I want to say about the home that Jesus is preparing for you and for me is that it's a place of joy and peace. The presence of God is here. It is real. We can trust him. And, and he makes his home in us. It's, it's not only for, for, you know, someday when we go to heaven, but also for right now. So all, what all of that creates in us is joy and peace, that presence of God. And I love that it's right here in the, in the farewell discourse that Jesus says more about joy than anywhere else. He talks about joy. I love that. And his last words, again, his last word in Testament, he wants you to remember you're meant to be joyful in joy. I don't know how many of you grew up in church traditions in which you thought that to be a Christian was to be kind of sour and, and depressing and, you know, not happy. But that's just wrong, okay? It's just wrong because Jesus wants us to have joy. He wants us to have joy. Let me read to you what he says, John 15, 9 to 11. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Well, that's a source of joy right there. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, why? So that you'll have joy. My joy may be in you, and that your joy may be what? Complete. Complete. Complete joy. John 16, 19 to 24. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Again, he was not talking about some future date. He was talking about when he left and the Holy Spirit came, they were filled with joy. When you get the Holy Spirit, you get joy. You get joy. In that day, you will never, no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and there it is again, and your joy will be complete. So much joy. Jesus just can't stop talking about joy in his final words to his disciples. Joy. Be filled with joy. Your joy. His joy in us. Our joy in him. It's this beautiful dance. It's this beautiful closeness. And he talks a little bit about how do we, how do we get that joy. And, and we see some things if we pull them out of the passage. Remaining in the love of Jesus. Just remaining in it. Stop scooting out from under the love. Just remain in it. Sit in that love. Keeping Jesus' commands. We do need to listen for his voice. Once he is within us, I'm telling you that when God makes a home in your heart, when you're doing stuff he don't want you to do, you're going to know it. Because <laughs> it's going to bother your heart. Because he's going to be giving you unrest about it. So we, we start to follow his commands. We listen for his voice, and the joy increases. We let him make a home in our heart, and we ask and receive, and God gives he gives us blessings, and he brings answers, and so we are filled with joy. We are filled with joy. And I love how he underscores the point that no one will take away your joy. And how we need to remember this. No one or nothing can take away your joy. No circumstance, 
no matter how hard, and there are hard circumstances. Joy doesn't mean that we're going to just, you know, have a big silly smile on our face all the time. It doesn't mean that we're not going to weep when, when people pass away. When hardships come, we're not going to struggle. We're not going to have some feelings of fear. Um, but, but there's this joy, and that's, we go back to the presence. It's the presence of Jesus with you in the midst of it. It's because you can go home to Jesus. I can have a horrible day, whatever, everything's going wrong. But when I go home, Paul's there. And you want to know something? There's joy. Now, he can't always solve all my problems. And, you know, it's not always perfect. But yet, I know that I can come home to him. And he loves me. And it's our home together. This is what it is with Jesus. He, you can come home to him no matter what you're going through, no matter what people are doing in your life, no matter what circumstances you're in. There's joy because we come to him. He's the vine. We are the branches. We're in Christ, and Christ is in us. Last couple of passages on peace. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. There he is. He's, he's so concerned. His disciples are very troubled about everything that's about to go down. He says, don't be troubled. I'm, I'm your peace. I'm present with you. I'm making a home in you. John 16, 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. So do you want to come home today? Do you want to have Jesus make his home in your heart? And do you want to come home to him, to know that every day you can come home to Jesus, and he's right there, he loves you, that he's within you, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are there in your heart, having a party in your heart, they're at home with you. Sounds really good to me. <laughs> Thomas wanted to know how we do that. In John 14, 5, he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus says these beautiful words. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is how we come home. Belief, faith in him, he's made it so clear. How we come to him, it's through Jesus. There's other good ways to live. There are other good faiths out there. That's not saying that our faith, because we come to faith in Jesus, we're better than someone else or that somehow, you know, nobody else is ever going to do anything good. No, that's not true. What, I, what it's saying here is that to have God make his home in us and with us, to have the abiding presence of God with you all the time, to know that you can trust him with everything in your life and there's joy and peace unbounding. You tell me if there's a way to that without Jesus. I've never seen it, and I'm old enough to know that if some, there was another way to get it, I'd have seen it by now, and I haven't seen it. And if you find another way to have all that joy and all that dwelling of the Holy Spirit, have at it. But you know what? He says, Jesus, I'm the way. That's how we come to him. We just come to Jesus, and he opens up this world for us, this life for us where we can have joy and peace and the abiding presence of Jesus. It just takes opening our hearts to him. Open up the door of our home to him. And so we can come just as we are to Jesus. We don't have to clean up our act. We don't have to have it all together. Even after we come to Jesus, we're not going to have it all together. We're not going to have cleaned up our act, right? <laughs> Take some time to get some of these things worked out. My son was home for Christmas, and um, before he came, I fixed up his room. We had just moved, so it took some effort, but we fixed up the room. We got the bed all made, and everything was all neat. And then a day after he was there, if you would have walked into his room, you would have thought a bomb went off in there, okay? Because the clothes were half in and out of the suitcase and all over the floor, and then the bed was unmade, and there was already a uneaten, you know, half bag, half-eaten bag of chips on the floor next to it. Like, you know, he had come home. The boy was home. 
and I know you could judge me right now that my parenting skills should have been better to teach them how to keep their, ne- their, house, their room clean, and you're fine if you want to judge me on that. But you know what? I, when I walk in and I see that, I just smile because it means that he just lets his hair down. He just comes home and is at home. And he's just relaxed to be who he is. And he knows we're going to love him no matter what. You know, where is he's our kid. He can come home mess and all. And I'm going to make him chocolate chip cookies. And I'm going to give him lots of hugs, more than he wants. And so Jesus says the same thing to you and to me. Don't feel like you've got to clean up your mess. Just come to him just now, just right where you are. Just who you are. And let him make a home with you. And you can be at home with him. You can trust that he's going to love you no matter what. No matter what. So I'd like us just to close our eyes for a moment. I invite the, the music team to come up. Try the way of Jesus. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Are we at a place in our heart where we want to open it up to Jesus and say, come make your home with me? Maybe we've thought of ourselves as a Christian all this time, but we've never really invited Jesus to make his home in our heart. Or maybe we we haven't ever made any kind of commitment to Christ. We weren't sure, but yeah, boy, we want to come home. We're tired of wandering and wondering. say that if you want to invite Jesus to come into your heart, to make his home in your heart today, I'm just going to invite you to go ahead and stand. So just allow God to speak to you right now and just say, yeah, I want that. I want him in my heart. I'm a heart. And you don't have to do anything or go anywhere. We just, to just say yes. To let that be a commitment in your heart. And at any time during this final song, you can come up, you can pray at the altar, you can come up for prayer. We're going to have prayer teams should go ahead and make their way up. Invite him into your heart. God, I know I've so often just gone my own way. Felt that I needed to get it all figured out myself. But Jesus, your presence is here. So you're calling me, calling all of us, come home, throw your clothes on the floor, plop yourself down on the bed.